0: This is the Inside Track Podcast by the BVRLA. Join us as we speak to high-profile guests from across rental, leasing and fleet as they discuss their careers, react to the latest news and look at what may be coming in the future. Hi everyone and welcome to the latest Inside Track podcast from the BVRLA. Um, I'm pleased today to be joined by Alan Bryce from the fraud advisory panel and the business fraud campaign manager um, previously the head of counter-fraud and cybercrime at the charity commission. The Fraud Advisory Panel um, is a trusted independent charity and voice of individuals and organisations in their efforts to protect themselves against fraud. The panel exists essentially to give people the knowledge, skills, resources, equipping them with the tools to reduce their risk. Um, Thanks for joining us, Alan. Welcome. Thanks, Adam. Good to be here. Yes and good to have you and um, people don't know Alan was uh, hopefully going to join us for our fraud um, webinar we did a little earlier in the year on industry outlook Um, I'll loop back to that at the end but I think this this follows on nicely and Alan your area of focus obviously is is that business fraud at a a macro level particularly within SMEs Um, so whereas that webinar was more about protecting vehicles protecting assets what we'll discuss today is very much so those broader pieces that everybody is potentially at risk of um, or could be vulnerable to if they don't know what to look out for, what kind of steps they can take proactively. And, and I guess with that with that in mind, are there any key macro factors at play that, you know, you're seeing impacting fraudulent activity across the board right now?
1: I mean, there are a number of massive developments in relation to, to fraud in the UK in recent years. I, mean, I think the first thing to point out to everyone, which people probably must admit it, it's always quite shocking when I when I actually see the facts is that certainly from um, uh, and I'm talking more about the consumer side, but it's reflective in business as well. Fraud is by some distance the single largest crime in the UK. It accounts for more than 40% of all crime in the UK according to the, uh, what used to be called the British Crime Survey, the ONS survey as is, more than 40%. If you throw in uh, cybercrime as well, which many frauds, in fact, most frauds now are, are cyber-enabled, and the difference between cyber and fraud uh, is, is so minimal, that's almost half of all crime, half of all crime. And then you put it into the context that even according to the government itself, we've published in some, some information on this recently, uh, less than 1% of all police resources are targeting fraud, yet it is nearly, with cyber, almost half of what we're looking at. So so against that background, the big changes that have happened, there's been the the long-term change in relation to fraud, which is obviously the the cyber enabled, the internet has changed completely the way in which acquisitive crime has has happened, and the explosion in crime that has therefore uh, resulted. Who wouldn't want to um, try and commit a fraud, which you are highly unlikely to be uh, detected? Uh, and prosecuted as a result uh, instead of say, for example, breaking and entering into a property or a car or whatever the criminals might have done in in the old days. So it is a very lucrative and sadly low risk way of committing crime. You, of course, have the impact uh, over the longer term that uh, the change in working patterns that occurred, uh, hybrid working that came out of of, uh, lockdown uh, and the ongoing way in which this now has changed the, the patterns in which people work. And there are many uh fraud risks that have um have recently increased as a result um and it is well documented fraud was one of only i think three crimes uh that actually went up during the whole, the covid period uh and the other one, one of the other two are is, is is a source cyber crime so so these are areas where which um those sort of dynamics now are much more prevalent and that in fact severely in the way business works And now we're also looking at this cost of living crisis uh, that's going on. Uh, And sadly, that drives um, the attraction for criminal behavior uh, by by not just individuals, but obviously driving organized crime activity uh, and sadly even some corporates. So so certainly the the environment of risk in relation to fraud has gone up significantly in the last few years. And it's part of why uh, we ourselves at the Fraud Advisory Panel Um, have, for example, wanted to focus on this uh, campaign to help SMEs.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And that that campaign you mentioned there, um, the Love Business, Hate Fraud campaign. Um, Can you give a a bit more background on on that? Obviously on that backdrop of of these pieces increasing and and the threat. What are some of the key elements of that campaign that you're hoping to achieve?
1: Sure. I mean, I I think it's important um, to put into context that uh, if you are a consumer, I think people would argue that there is actually a lot of support out there for consumers in relation to tackling fraud and preventing fraud there's lots of campaigns i'm sure many people are aware of and some excellent campaigns out out there but certainly ourselves at the fraud advisory panel have felt for some time and have been arguing that smes in particular don't get the level of support that they need to better prevent fraud from occurring and that's really the focus of our campaign so love business hate fraud started uh, it's a one-year campaign started in june last year we finish at the end of this month, the, the, uh, that's the, the formal phase, but everything I'm going to talk about will be available on our website and there will be different types of support available for SMEs going forward uh, uh, you know, later this year into next year that's related to the campaign. But the focus of the campaign is about raising fraud awareness and cybercrime uh, for small businesses, businesses generally, but particularly for small businesses. It's very much focused on the prevention agenda We have a great deal of material in in social media, you might have seen different aspects of this. Um, For everything I'm going to talk about, go to our Love Business Hate Fraud website. Everything is free. We have things that are specifically targeted, we hope, for the broad uh, compass of, um, of small businesses. If you're a large business, you've got resources, you know, you have expertise to fall back upon. You get help and support that you can afford to do, to take. Um, If you're a consumer, you get a level of support, I would argue. But if you're a SME, you just don't have that generally. Um, So we put information in the public domain. So you have, for example, we have four phases, uh, four quarters we've, uh, we've been working through focusing on the big uh, issues. So um, our first quarter, our first phase was around um, what people will call procurement fraud. I don't like the term procurement fraud, I'm a fraud expert, it puts me to sleep when I hear the word procurement fraud. Uh, So it's um, it's, 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 uh, it's about buying goods and services safely, that's how we term it. And you'll see that throughout all our material. There's no huge long documents, there's no big massive guides, it's all short, it's all focused, it's all around making material that is accessible, particularly for SMEs. the short videos. If you want to know what what does fraud, what actually is fraud? I mean, you know, uh, I sit with uh, lawyers and they tell me about the Fraud Act and they go through all this bits and pieces. Actually, fraud is just stealing by deception at its most basic. And that's what we're talking about. Fraud is stealing by deception. So we've got short video, uh, little animated uh, videos that uh, you can download, share it among your staff and colleagues. So uh, so there's lots of material like that. So for each of the quarters, um, as I say, I mentioned that um, procurement, um, for example, buying goods and services safely was our first uh, quarter material. We put a whole lot of myths and misconceptions uh, in the public domain that people can understand the challenge. We have like a, a myth of the month. For each of these phases, you'll get a short guide and I do mean short it'll be never more than two, pa- two pages if I've done more than two pages I've made a mistake you'll get a checklist for your small business uh, to understand you get a short 45 second here are your three top tips to prevent this type of fraud uh, so the first one was procurement the second one um, was around insider fraud and we may talk about this in different ways uh, but insider fraud is a, is a as a real threat to businesses. There's so much inside of fraud more generally. And especially for SMEs, this can be a difficult issue to tackle because of the nature of working in smaller businesses. Then we had cyber. And finally, the final phase we're looking at right now is, is fraud risk management. So again, it's all about guidance. Um, what <laughs> I speak about at fraud events, and we say, well, actually, you strengthen your counter fraud culture. Well, actually, what is fraud culture? um you'll you'll hear it talk about the government talk about culture all the time uh national reports where things fail talk about culture but actually what does it mean in the context of being a small business so we sort of bring that out we have a whole series of webinars on um on, on that website about each of these themes uh we have interviews with victims of fraud um business owners uh quite shocking in some cases about the impact this has had on them um, so you have all that material. And we've also created something called the Business Fraud Network. Uh, and again, all of this is, uh, you can access all the information. It's a group, and I uh, will call it soft and hard intelligence, bringing together understanding of what's happening, not just in the business community, but in other sectors, fraud threats, cyber threats, um, what the police are saying is going on, and understanding what that might mean in terms of the threat to SMEs in particular. And so we put again you'll you hear me would say the word two-page guide but every six weeks we put out a two-page summary of the intelligence of what that we think the risks are and also links to help and assistance now this can be used by anybody um we're not at all precious about it stick your logo on it it sure, among your membership your employees it really doesn't bother us but what we do think is important is for organizations companies in particular to appreciate where those emerging risks are, or perhaps more commonly, it's just the same fraud risk. So many frauds are basically the same, but there might be a little twist on it, for example. Um, So it's trying to just make them aware. You can download all of that for free. It's all available on the Love Business Hate Fraud website. And even though the campaign, this part of the campaign finishes at the end of this month, that website will continue for a couple more years. And all that material, again, just encourage you to have a look at it we've also done a couple of little short videos uh animations around say uh card not present fraud so we we saw last summer a real jump in that we were made aware of it so we did a sort one minute video just making people aware uh of some of these issues like phishing for example depending what the issue was we put out material that any hope we hope small business uh can use to the what suits them best that's
0: amazing and the um the sort of six weekly uh, pc reference there seeing in the most recent one, um, or one of the most recent ones, you outlined among the, the current risks that's sort of growing in, in the prevalence is cybercrime. I think you said 80% of reports in cyber crime are from SMEs. Mm. What are the most common cyber crimes that SMEs might be subject to, and how would they go about identifying where they've maybe put themselves at risk or have been targeted, but they might not have been able to spot at the time?
1: Sure. Uh, uh, I mean the, the quick answer is do have a look at our guide uh and the the top tips and the bullet points on there but you're quite right uh in, in the sense that we we are continually flagging up um one or two specific types of cyber related uh risks um uh, for example uh, though this is not the most common it is it, it is jump forward um we will be issuing next week our latest six-weekly summary. And I'm giving nothing away by saying that ransomware has jumped up significantly in in just uh, that six-week period. Uh, There are a whole series, uh, I think eight have been identified so far, of different types of new ransomware attacks, software as it were, that's now being used. So I think people should be very wary of ransomware as an issue. Uh, And there are with, this, with that certain guys that we um, we particularly direct people to the National Cyber Security Center. They're one of our partner organizations. They've got some excellent material about um, what to look for and how to deal with it. They've also got, since we're on cyber, I think, uh, and again, it's in that uh, the one of our most recent um, guys, there's free toolkits that they have specifically designed for small, small organizations, small businesses. So you can ch- check out, um, you can go through IP addresses. Uh, so there's lots of free toolkit that do that and, and the way in which your IP address may or may not be uh, abused uh, right now. Uh, and there's also a simple, uh, I, I think they call an action plan, a cyber action plan. But it, it's it's a simple way of identifying where your risks are uh, since we talked about cyber uh, and giving each individual business a, a tailored way of, of responding to it. So all those links are in those guidance. I certainly recommend that. The one that I would just say that we almost constantly every six weeks, I think I mentioned this, you know, many types of fraud, especially cyber ones, are virtually the same every time with little tweaks on it. Email uh, business email compromise is probably the most common one. So it's a type of phishing attack. Uh, this is where, for whatever uh, way in which they they manage to do it, the fraudster will try and target a company, um, usually a budget holder or a senior person in that organisation, purporting to be a legitimate partner, usually, uh, and ask them to provide. I don't know. Might be a a payment. Uh, it might be information, for example, and that's still fraud in the most broad context, uh, other forms of data. So business email compromise. And again, if that is something you're worried about, do go on National Cyber Security Center website because they have uh, very short business focused focused uh, assistance that um, that they would encourage uh, businesses to at least consider in terms of the risk they face.
0: I, th- I think that, that example you give, I've definitely seen firsthand at previous employees where, so, seemingly out of the blue, you get an email from boss or the FD or something saying, "Oh, mm. can you do this for me quickly?" But really uncharacteristic, not quite in their tone, but you know, if you're if you're not paying attention, I guess it could could look and then people will act. And they obviously, if it's yeah. from a more senior team member or it's urgent, I guess there's often yeah.
1: that. Yeah, uh, I mean, if-
0: that temptation to respond even if it doesn't look quite right, and that's obviously where you you may be drawn in, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, is that though I talk about cyber and that's obviously it's cyber enabled, the weakness is actually the individual and the way in which, and I mean this is the nicest possible way, uh, is that um, these fraudsters know how to manipulate people. I mean, I think the average time uh, is around seven months um, for um uh between the the time that say the 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 cyber fraudster purports or starts a relationship might purport to be a new customer. Okay. Uh, and they'll build up trust. And the average seven months between that period when they try and develop that relationship, for example, and when they then actually drop the drop the boom as it were and actually try and push for the fraud. Um, and they will research people they will go out and find out what you're interested in you will have a digital footprint you might have something on Facebook that indicates you might be a, and I just make this up off the top of my head um, you might be a Manchester City football fan uh, so suddenly they'll they'll whoever you're dealing with might also mysteriously have been a Manchester City football fan you know those sort of things are uh types of um social engineering is the uh, the, the technical title for this uh, but it's a way in which people will be manipulated um, to unfortunately, you know, let down their defences. And the other one you, you've mentioned there is absolutely spot on. What is the, uh, if, you, if you get a director of finance or your chief executive, or simply the person who owns the business, contacts you by email and says, do this now. Lots and lots of people will do it now, even though the controls say that you shouldn't, you know, and that's about the culture of an organisation and the responsibility is as much, you should always feel as if you're an employee, that you're able to challenge anything that looks strange but i know many businesses where the idea of challenging the director of finance you'd never or you know or the owner of the company you'd never do that and actually half of that responsibility or a lot of that falls on senior people in the organization to set the right tone from the top i talk a little bit about culture already if you set the right tone from the top you should have an environment where people if they think something's wrong actually challenge it and most importantly and this is a really fascinating one. You should have a culture where people should actually feel very comfortable to report they've made a mistake. And the classic example of that is when you get a, I don't I get hundreds of emails every day. I'm sure probably you do as well. And so many people probably uh, do so uh, who are listening in and you accidentally click on the oh, no, I've I've clicked on the link. I shouldn't have. I hadn't thought about it. I've uh, you know, I've made a mistake. You've got to report it straight away. Take action straight away. But so many organisations, people are very worried about it. Or maybe something won't happen. I'll just keep quiet. That's the worst possible situation. But that's about how people work together and the culture within that uh, company, for example.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think perhaps even more so with SMEs, where you maybe don't have those, you know, safety nets in place that a big company mm-hmm. would. You know, they come a presumably a big investment, in a big systems. I mean, sticking with staff, because obviously you made the appointment. having that culture, you know, sharing the materials and the support with, with the team. I guess the flip side of that is, you know, again, looking at the, the campaign you referenced, there's also a risk of, you know, staff themselves being, you know, potentially acting in fraudulent ways or sort of acting as that conduit between the external fraudster and internally. Are there any key elements for a you know, business owner or manager to look out for where, you know, their staff might be acting in a way that they shouldn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very historical issue. It goes back many years inside of fraud, mm. and what are the the red flags, uh, as it were? Um, I mean, there there are the classic red flags. Um, so the uh, you know the employee who doesn't take leave, always a classic one. I mean, I think there's certain countries. Uh, I think Germany is one, for example, where you're you, you're actually required legally to take a certain period of leave. Now, uh, obviously that is for the benefit of the individual. But one of the great advantages of that is also because when people are away and out of the office, they can't hide their fraud, as it were. So I'd be very wary if people aren't taking leave. Um, and sounds and strange because part of it, if you own the businesses, well, they're very committed to the business and I appreciate all their hard work. But there's another reason that people do that, sadly, and that is to keep hiding uh, the frauds themselves. Obviously there are issues, and this is more about, I think it's a wider issue about the way in which we we treat employees, about making sure their welfare, and we give consideration to that, because, you know, they might have a drink you know, the classic issues. You might be going through a divorce, Uh, you might have a gambling problem. Gambling is a classic area in which people, drives people towards committing fraud. Uh, other financial problems, drinking, but whatever it might be. Those are welfare issues that you'd like to think a really good employer would be concerned about anyway. And by being concerned about that and being aware, you also reduce the risk that that will drive people to commit fraud. There's some really interesting research, um, which I, I've done some work on as well, um, which which I, I, I very much stand by, which is that in, in very general terms, around about 5 to 10 percent of the population, will never commit fraud. And if you think about that insider context, how you, uh, you, you know, that's five to 10% of your staff, you don't have to worry about. Five to 10% of people will, doesn't matter what you do as an employer, to try and stop them committing fraud, they will at least attempt to commit fraud. They will try and do that. The vast majority, that, that, that remaining 80 to 90%, we're opportunists we will almost never commit fraud. We'll never think about doing it. We're loyal to our company, whatever it might be, our employer. But in certain circumstances, I might. Um, And one of those circumstances might be cost of living crisis, or I've been overlooked for promotion, or I haven't had the pay rise, given what's happening right now. My pay doesn't reflect uh, inflation. Therefore, I feel I'm owed a bit of money. So they justify it to themselves. And the vast majority of us are like that. So, if you're an employer, you have to be aware that there are different risks and different ways of managing that risk. Um, and that dynamic, sadly, is now being uh, increased even more cost of living crisis. Uh, and then you throw in the amount of people who work from home. in the in the old days, you know having two or three other people at the in an office for example you could something comes in that looks strange or you feel uh, you want to challenge something you can do so much more easily because somebody's sitting next to you and you can talk about something and you you take five as the campaign says just to think about it But if you're sitting by yourself you're not going to right? because because yeah. you're sitting at home so, so you don't have that opportunity to, to to reinforce the concern and also you're sitting by yourself and you're not talking and the, you're not part as much Uh, of that sort of culture within the organisation, how it works, Um, and there are some research that suggests that people feel much easier to defraud online, as it were, you know, not face to face, um, than you would if you're actually in the building, you know, face to face and dealing with people. So again, all these dynamics and the ways in which people change their working patterns is facilitating potentially the way in which insider fraud uh, could occur
0: yeah that's that, that i'm I'm shocked to hear that sort of potentially as much as eighty or ninety percent have that you know potential um sort of potentially have it in them but i I completely see the points you're you're uh, making As as you say with the the cost of living crisis is the sort of the buzz the buzzword the hot topic it it forces people into areas they wouldn't normally want to go, doesn't it because of the pressures because of those stresses so yeah something yeah. to be be mindful of.
1: At, absolutely. I had the fascinating um, discussion with uh, somebody in the, the Midlands, actually, um, uh, an employer, and they were saying that um, the the dynamic of struggling to get staff in was such that um, they were willing to take more of a risk in relation to the vetting process. So they're getting people in, but actually I need somebody in and therefore I'm going to Uh, in in effect, take more of a risk on somebody coming in who might already, for example, have a criminal record in the way that they wouldn't have done a few years ago because the future of the business is such that they needed somebody in. Now, if this has been uh, replicated elsewhere, you know, again, it's the owner of the business, the, the manager. Concerned about the about the the continuation of the existence of that business, taking a fraud risk, you might argue, in the way that they would never have done, and that's because of what's happening around us. And of course, once that fraudsters in there, the 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 best person, sadly, to commit fraud against a business is somebody in the business because they know where the weaknesses are. They're able to circumvent the controls. They know. I mean, I, I used to do that. Uh, if anybody asked me at any place I was ever employed, I knew exactly which manager would sign off an expenses claim without checking it properly.
0: Mm.
1: I, every, everybody does. You know, some people are in such a rush, they'll just sign something off. I mean, it's an old style expenses claim, but you know who to go to if you want to get around. There's always somebody in the organization to tell you how to get something done, but that means the controls aren't working. So all these things that might be very good when there's when you when everything's working fine when the pressure's on, actually being able to get around the controls is um is is sadly uh, an increased fraud risk.
0: Mm, Absolutely, and it's interesting to hear how those dynamics are changing at that point of you know bringing talent in and identifying people Mm because, like you say, the the job market itself I think is a well documented challenge at the moment. So that you do have to maybe make those compromises. I guess. Beyond that element in terms of the people you're getting in and the the internal culture, are there any other key areas that you've seen where companies are maybe taking bigger risks when it comes to um, you know opening themselves up for fraudulent activity?
1: Yeah I I suppose just just finishing that point about the the insider fraud and and where I advise some people to get some help and assistance is to make sure you do the proper vetting on the companies that you deal with from a, a, a sort of supplier base supplier perspective and also the individuals that you're employing if you go to our webinar on insider fraud we actually have a demonstration about how open source material uh, can be used um one for finding out doing a legitimate open source checking on individuals that you might be employing but also checking companies that you're dealing with you know uh, how you check the vat for i mean it's pretty obvious there's also uh, if you're Especially if you're dealing with a company, for example, who's outside the UK, where do you go to, and how do you check some of these companies and how legitimate they are? So, I would definitely say people should be and companies should be wary, um, because the supply chain issue we hear supply chain fraud uh, is is a is a is a growing problem, and as more and more businesses are struggling to. You know to continue to exist. That dynamic, and it is a fraud. If somebody's the motivation for some people to commit fraud is not always for personal enhancement, it might be because they want their business to continue, and to do that, they might defraud another company that they are dealing with.
0: Sadly, um, but that's still fraud, and they're still victims. So yes, those you know making those background checks. I guess that that's universal, isn't it? Say it's on. The people you're working with, the suppliers you're working with, mm-hmm. the systems that you're subscribed to, and processes that you're you're following. I mean, just just as maybe a quick one at at the end. I've, I've seen in some of your recent materials as well the the potential risk presented by AI, and obviously that I presume is as much um, an evolution of that cybercrime element you said is so prevalent. Are you seeing any? New developments with AI growing at the rate it is, or is it more? It's creating more efficient ways to enhance sort of <laughs> activity that you like to say has already been been around yeah. for years or might already be established. Uh, I mean, if, for any of those who
1: um, who have seen some of the AI that we're talking about, uh, chatbots being obviously the the mo- the one's probably getting the most attention right now. Um, it m- might look like fun, for example, uh, when. Um, uh, what was the the one that was that came out a couple of years ago? I think somebody manipulated uh, and made it look like Barack Obama had been criticizing Donald Trump or something, and it, the whole thing was uh, a a complete uh, AI made up from start to finish, completely. If you watch it, it's compelling. You'd actually believe those that was Barack Obama and those were the words he was saying. Now that might be, as I say, a bit of fun. How easy can you then do you exactly apply that technology? to the way in which fraud works. And of course, there's a much more recent example, isn't there? The, uh, the German newspaper did an interview with Michael Schumacher. Um, oh, I think that was only last month. Um, co- completely based on the fact that the AI gave answers that Michael Schumacher would. Now, when you're dealing, uh, here's a good example. Um, uh, we talked about those phishing emails that come in that look a bit strange, purporting to be from somebody you know, and the wording might be a bit strange. So you you, sort of, you know, words that you might not, expect somebody that you do know to use. But Actually now the AI can actually write those messages exactly how the individual would speak, how the individual would write. Um, so so the the likelihood of being able to pick up ourselves as people just through our normal behaviours, some of these frauds in the same way we have in the past is is going to drop off a cliff. We're just not going to be able to do it soon. Um, there's a lot of concern. I'm aware about how, basically, artificial intelligence, for example, can just could write a write an academic dissertation and submit it. And and you know, the the technology to check whether something's been copied doesn't matter anymore because our AI will have written something completely new. So there's so you can't do those checks. So so we're going to have to look again at the way in which artificial intelligence is helping us identify these frauds. But the way in which they're going to be committed going forward, and it's already with us, it's just not as prevalent. We're just not as aware of it. Uh, it it's right there. And I think um, I, I think that what we're looking at potentially is a big explosion in the way in which fraud through artificial intelligence will, will happen. Um, and it's going to take an awful lot of effort for everybody concerned to properly address that. Okay.
0: So would you envisage that almost like a... You know, devil and an angel. Sort of AI will also be the tool to identify those those frauds Because, as you say, it's a lot harder, if not impossible, for a human to identify where there's been sort of that level. As the systems enhance, is it more, you know, an IT-led solution, uh, an AI-generated program, almost that might act as the, the sort of the failsafe in those threats, or yeah, do you I... just not know enough at, at this point to. to...
1: Well, the situation is moving so quickly from everything I understand about what's happening with I- in the AI development. Uh, but I think you're right in the sense that it will have to be an AI solution. But whether, and this is always the issue with fraud and technology, is usually the fraudsters get out ahead of us, as it were. Uh, they, you know, they're using the technology in a way that was never intended, uh, but to, to facilitate their frauds. And everybody else is playing catch up. And that is my worry, is that, yeah, I'm sure we'll eventually catch up and we'll use AI to identify and prevent these frauds more effectively. But there's going to be a period and, and we're probably at that period now, starting where we just don't know the way in which it's been used and it, it's not fully understood. And and that if, if you're a big business, you'll be able to invest in probably the software that might be developed, and the AI that's been developed to prevent and identify these frauds. If you're a small business, will you be able to afford to, to do this? I, I, you know how quickly uh, technology is developed and then it's priced very high. And then, of course, it comes down over time as, as, as the market effectively works. If you're a small business, you know it might be too late because the the, you know, before it becomes affordable, you might already been subject to some form of fraud. So, so I think there is a real concern, and I do hope government. I mean, we're very lucky that the the National Cyber Security Centre takes this issue very seriously, and have gone out of their way and appreciate the importance of of helping prevent uh, and and support SMEs in terms of of the frauds they're they're facing. But uh, I don't think you need you can stop for a moment if if you've looked at uh, and, and and I'm going to be a fraud geek and say it, the government published their fraud strategy only the other week. Uh, and there are some ambitious targets and some encouraging developments. But um, if you look for the word SME or small business anywhere, you might be struggling to find any recognition within that, that small businesses are on necessarily the radar of the government. So we have to keep pushing. And, and you know, professional uh, representative bodies, you know, Federation of Small Business and any organized company. We have to keep pushing to ensure that SMEs get the level of support and attention in relation to fraud that they need if they're going to be effective in tackling this issue
0: going forward. Absolutely. And then I guess just perhaps as the as closing point, I mean this you know, those future threats, current ones. Most of what it comes down to, I suspect, in a very simple term, is that hyper vigilance, you know. If you're not sure, double checking, building in a fail-safe. Digital systems now you see a lot more two-factor authentication, which obviously prevents against some, but not others. So is it just that overriding message of hyper-vigilance? Keep as much up to speed as you can through the resources that you've mentioned and those those campaigns.
1: Yeah, very much. I think there is a an absolute issue around awareness. And you and if SMEs are going to be effective any business, you have to be willing to talk about openly about fraud, the fraud risks you face, and what needs to be done, and acceptance, as you say, that we all have a role through being more vigilant to tackle the the problem. Um, there are some really very simple uh, but effective ways, and from an i t side. Uh, that people I mean, in your personal capacity, you're probably aware, you know, um, you you know, for passwords, uh, use, you know, three different unrelated words, for example, or all, all these things. There's all guidance and the National Cyber Security Center, two factor authentication, all these things. You're absolutely right. But um, I guess I'd really encourage and this is what we keep seeing so many businesses say um, after they've had the fraud. Oh, I'd wish I'd spent some time and and, you know, got passwords, my password correct, for example and and follow that guidance. You're right, you're absolutely right. I wish you'd spent the time as well doing that before you became a victim. The problem is, and this is where uh, especially for SMEs really have to be aware, is that um, I would always say if you're a victim of fraud or cybercrime as well, but if you're a victim of fraud report it to the police absolutely. The police in almost every case do not have the resources to be able to support and they'll say this to investigate it properly. So you report it Understand that we'll understand the greater picture of what's going on, but it will impact massively on your business. The amount of time—imagine what you think would take in terms of the time that you have to put in to deal with the fraud—and multiply it by ten because that's usually how long it will take. Think about the costs. You know, we've—I alluded to this, and we we talk about it in our, our um, webinar. Um, you know, the the related costs. Not, it's not just the fraud; it's the investigation, it's the preventative action. Your insurance will probably go up. We had a horrible case uh, where again because of sadly lack of police action, uh, this particular uh, owner of the company told us afterwards that they had a fraud, about a million pounds inside the fraud, um, the person who committed the fraud uh, was a was a finance person within that company, They they reported to the police, police took no action and no action and no action, continually taking no action. That individual went on and took up and committed three, the same fraud at three subsequent companies before the police finally took action. When, and this person was prosecuted and has, is, is now serving a criminal, of, uh, criminal sentence. One of the owners of the other companies that was defrauded actually went on to commit suicide. You know, it destroyed their family, it destroyed This person's uh, mental health from what we understand and even took their lives. The impact is so great that if you do not look towards prevention as the main way of dealing with this issue, then you're highly unlikely to have the resources necessary to respond in a way that will get the money back completely, that will totally uh, protect your company. So I can't stress enough the importance of prevention
0: if you're, especially if you're a small business. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a very powerful message to to close on. Um, so and if you can just give us the final reminder of where, where our members can go to sort of find those resources and where they can find those kind of support.
1: Sure. So specifically, what we're talking about the campaign is called Love Business, Hate Fraud. If you just Google that, uh, you'll go straight to the website everything is completely free. all the material we put out at the panel is completely free of course so use that material as uh, as you think um, appropriate for your company um and that will be that website will be running for another couple of years anyway that's specifically for smes uh, but lots of small organizations do use it as well i should i should say uh, and then if you go to the fraud advisory panel website where we're actually right in the middle of updating our our, our main website but there's guidance around this um uh, and and we put more information. And there's some specific research around SME fraud that we have on there, we've done over several years. So again, all of that is freely available. So those are the, the main two websites I recommend from the fraud Advisory Panel perspective. And I'd also always say the National Cybersecurity Center do a great deal of small business specific guidance and free toolkits that they're so specialist in. I definitely think that's a worth a, a look for any SME.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much. I'd encourage all everyone listening, all of our members, to to take a look and see what they can do to get as much ahead as as they can. Um, Alan, we'll we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time today and and sharing all of those valuable insights with uh, me and our members. Thanks.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you click the subscribe button. Please leave a rating or review, and feel free to share this on your social platforms.